Instead of doing a long run, what has normally become a long run for me, which is at this point over 20 kilometers, I did a relatively short run, only 13, 14, um, because I am tapering. Tapering is when you're reaching the end of your marathon training program or whatever length you're training for. Towards the end of it, for the longer distance ones, you start to rest your body so that you are fresh for when you do the actual event that you've been training for. So I've been putting it in my mind to rest more, to do less. I spend a lot of time today in bed, just looking at my telephone, sometimes napping. I went and got some books from the library. I got the running book whose program I, I'm using again so I could, you know, to make sure that I didn't miss any important things, but also to maybe get some pointers on, you know, what my nutrition schedule sort of should look like this week because in a week's time on November 12th, I'm going to attempt to run a marathon, um, to do a marathon length run in about three hours and 40 and 45 minutes. Three hours and 45 minutes is a lot faster than I have ever done. Uh, well, than the only one other time in which I attempted to do a run of this length. Last time I tried, I did it in four hours and seven minutes and and, and, and a bit more seconds, but I, I, anyway, and I didn't have like a very good training program at the time, or in hindsight, I can say I didn't have a very good training program. I think I was ready. I felt ready. I felt good. And then I made that classic beginner mistake, which almost every runner runs into of just starting out way too fast because you feel so good at the beginning and through ha halfway through it you're still feeling all right and it's not until i can't remember when it was but around kilometer 30 maybe a bit farther where the fatigue really starts to set in and i didn't really prepare nutritionally as much as perhaps i could have as well, not perhaps, as definitely I should have. My only nutrition that I brought with me was dates. I'm like, which <laughs> in hindsight is kind of adorable, but also terrible because I didn't plan for water except the water fountains that are, are around the city of Montreal, which there are plenty. There, there were, okay, I was okay for water, but I was, I didn't, take into consideration that I needed salt replaced as well. 
and that sugar alone wasn't enough. So this time, I feel like I'm better prepared. I followed more strictly a program, a program that appeals to me, uh, to the way that I like to run, which is fast. Uh, so, you know, this program incorporated a lot of sprints, a lot of faster than marathon pace running, and some easy running as well, some slower running, plenty of slower running. I mean, like, that's the bulk of it. Lots of long, slow running um, to get your body used to that continuous stress and your cardiovascular system um, can learn to recover quickly, recover more quickly. Uh, anyway, so on November 12th, at around 7.30 in the morning, my plan is to head to the park, Jari Park, a couple of blocks away from my house, and run for nearly four hours in a loop. And the loop is about nine and a half, 950 meters, so 0.95 kilometers, it's just under a kilometer, just shy of a kilometer. Uh, I think it's, I can't remember if I've measured it recently. I think it's closer to like 0 0.92 kilometers or 0 0.919 kilometers. Who cares? But I've calculated it out and it comes out to roughly 46 laps of the park. You know, in my mind, I, during one of my long runs, I did it, I've done, uh, the longest run I've done at the park is about 27 kilometers. There's a couple of runs that I did that are around 27 kilometers at the park. And during one of them, I tried changing directions midway with the idea that I would change directions again at a different point. But you, when you reach a certain exhaustion point, you're just on autopilot and you don't want to switch off the autopilot you want to stay on it so I, I switched directions at one point maybe around like 13 or 14 kilometers with the intention of switching directions again maybe 10 kilometers after and, and I just couldn't do it I was just like no I can't I can't switch off the autopilot I gotta keep going and I did, and I finished my run. I don't know what to expect for Sun. Oh, shit. I keep saying Sunday. It's Saturday. I'm doing it Saturday. November 12th is a Saturday. You should come by, say hello, cheer me on if you want to, or just wave. Please just wave. <laughs> I'm in this spot where I, I want to advertise it. I'm letting people know I'm doing it. And that's part of like uh, motivating myself to do it. I'm, you know, making myself responsible for an event. But at the same time, I don't want anybody to show up. I just, just leave me alone and let me run, right? <laughs> but I'm inviting everybody. You know, I posted it on Instagram and whatever. And I, and I'm, I've been practicing doing different little posters on Photoshop and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so anyway, something will come of it, I guess. Uh, I might, <sighs> I have real doubts about my abilities, but also feel really strong about my running right now. 
And yet it's a distance, you know, you never actually, not in this plant anyway, there's some other plants in which you do run the full distance and you run beyond the full distance uh, in some of them. But in this one, the maximum uh, run that I managed was actually, I was supposed to do as far, as much as 32 according to the program. I did one run at 34 kilometers, but it wasn't a good run. It was a terrible run. Like the last four kilometers were a real struggle. I walked a lot of it. But I recovered quickly. I wasn't like in pain the next day or anything. I was tired, but I'm not in pain, which um, unlike like when I actually did a full marathon, I was like really in pain and had trouble like walking downstairs <laughs> the day after. Um, and this is part of the reason why I'm doing it on a Saturday so I can have the full Sunday to recover and not walk up and down any stairs whatsoever. Ever, but I probably will. I probably will try to get myself out there for a walk. It'll probably help recovery. <laughs> I yeah okay. Oof, that's a lot about running. Let's talk about some serious stuff. <laughs> ah, COVID. What is going on in the wide world of the SARS-CoV-2? pandemic. Well, Quebec has lifted its five-day quarantine requirement. The requirement that was already a half measure. Um, I remember way back three years ago when the require well, almost three years ago at the beginning of the pandemic, the isolation requirements were recommended. Uh, I think it was 14 days at the beginning and that got reduced fairly quickly to 10, like, well, eh, within a few months, maybe to 10. I can't, I'm not so clear on this timeline anymore. And then at some point, uh, around the surge of Omicron, it was reduced to five days. And I learned later that this recommended five days by a team of physicians that advised the CDC was strictly advised only for healthcare settings because it was a genuine fear that healthcare settings would not have enough uh, employees running healthcare to be able to survive the dramatic rise in cases and hospitalizations. So this five-day isolation period was recommended and then to the shock of many of the scientists who recommended this, this was taken, this was quickly um, taken as advice for the entire population, not just for healthcare settings, you know, not just, not just to help prevent hospitals from being overrun and understaffed, which anyway, they're being overrun as it is, right? Anyway, Quebec has done away with it. Uh, <laughs> We're going back to good old common sense because that <laughs> that has gotten us out of so many uh, pandemics before. <laughs> what? Common sense? What the fuck is this thing? Anyway, um... <laughs> 
Yeah, the Sartiki Peck has given up, essentially. Uh, <laughs> uh, just as things are getting worse. Um, so in Quebec, we... I've, I don't know if I've talked about this before. Uh, before 2022, hospitalizations had reached over 1,000 two times. Once at the beginning of the pan pandemic, and I think the next time was in May, June, um, 2021. So th there were two like really high peaks, you know, over a thousand hospitalizations in the first two years of the pandemic. In 2022, the current year in Quebec, we have hit over 2,000 hospitalizations. So more than double what seemed excessive during the first couple of years. We've hit over 2,000 hospitalizations four times. And the year is not done. We still have the better part of two months in which it is very likely that they will go back up again. They just rank right now in October. They just went a little bit above 2000 and then they just dip right back down. And I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen next, but it seems very probable that they will dip back up above 2000. So that'll be like five peaks, minimum of five peaks over 2000 in one year alone. It is nuts that this is the time when all the measures are being removed. There was a, a couple of other things on COVID-related material. There was a new article in Vanity Fair, which I've talked about Vanity Fair a couple of times. Um, and this article was also by Catherine Eben, uh, again, following up on preliminary knowledge, or sorry, not preliminary knowledge, but like doing research into the origins of SARS-CoV-2. And this article really focused on trying to read between the lines in official Wuhan Institute of Virology documents, trying to decipher what sort of crisis and when a crisis presented itself. And so anyway, it's it's a lot of speculation. Uh, it seems like like I can, I I genuinely I'm not in doubt that their um, that their assessment is correct in some ways, and by that I mean like that there is a sort of like government speak in Chinese that is not immediately decipherable by simply uh, by, by doing a direct translation of their documents. There is also like a cultural meaning to it uh, that is more difficult to access for non-Chinese speakers, for, for, for people who, who don't have access to the culture too, right? Or don't have very much exposure to it. Uh, that all seems fine, but 
at the same time, you know, when that, that sort of analysis doesn't give a very convincing or very solid um, foundation for what they are claiming, uh, I feel like we it, it'd be useful to have other uh, less speculative information uh, about what was going on at the Wuhan Institute of Virology during the during the month the, the last few months of 2019 according to the article it seems like the crisis really hit at end of october beginning of november and that kind of uh that goes in line already with a lot of the information that is known with a lot of the research that has been done into the the original SARS-CoV-2 genome, which traces the origin, places the origin around early November, October. Some people go as far as September um, for the emergence of the virus, right? Um, <clears throat> anyway, so there's that. It's interesting. Her research is good, and uh, I think it's a co- Presentation. She she didn't write it alone. It's a co-presentation with ProPublica, and she works with another journalist called Jeff Cow. On a more positive note, on the pandemic, and if it's positive, and it's also kind of like, why is why are not more people talking about this? Um, William. Hazeltine, which, who, whom I've mentioned a few times in the podcast before, he, a researcher, uh, scientist, he writes a whole of a lot of articles for Forbes magazine. And he's done five articles in the last month or so, all looking at emerging, uh, vaccine research. So the next generation of vaccines, not the current um, batch or like the, the, the batch that, you know, that seemed that was going to solve the pandemic, but didn't. Um, but he's looking at the developments in mRNA vaccines self-amplifying, self-replicating mRNA vaccines that various labs around the world are creating. I can't explain the science to you guys the way that he does, so I'm just going to post links to a couple of his articles, and you can read it and try to, like... Anyway, I feel like it's it's fascinating, it's interesting stuff. Uh, it's good to know that research is still happening. Uh, one of this... Um, one of these vaccines, self-amplifying vaccines, has already been approved in India for... Um, it has already received emergency use authorization uh, from Indian regulators. Uh, and apparently, like, the way it works, like, it, it doesn't just, um, you know, bring... Uh, why am I trying to explain this? It doesn't just bring like a little piece of the virus. Well, that's it. Well, which is not what mRNA does, right? It doesn't bring a piece of the virus. It's not like the old style of vaccines. Um, I, I, yeah. Okay. 
I'm going to stop there. But it's... <laughs> I feel like when I read the article, I'm like, yeah, it totally makes sense. I get it. And then when I try to explain it 30 seconds later, I'm just like, nope, I didn't catch any of that. <laughs> but you should read it. I feel like it's fascinating. And it's interesting to know that vaccine developments are happening, uh, are still happening. And for those of us who are kind of like upset by the vaccine regime that we received in Canada because it was coupled with a lot of misdirection, like it was overpromised. There were the secret deals made with Pfizer and Moderna and other giant pharma companies. Right, these are, there, were, there were secret deals. You know, these companies made billions of dollars uh, and they're not liable for, for their vaccines in any way. And these vaccines were authorized for emergency use, right? They, they didn't get like the full approval. I think some of them are fighting for the, I mean, like, I'm not sure exactly where, at what stage of the, the approval is. But it, like this new vaccine in India, what they've received is EUA, emergency use authorization, right? So it's not like the final, final authorization saying that they're all good and clear. What has always been surprised, anyway, I, I like reading about where the new technology is going, and a lot of it seems to be focused on mRNA technology. It's cool, it's awesome. I'm pro-developing newer and better vaccines. I am always shocked. And like, you know, like I said, I'm a little bit surprised that nobody's talking about the new vaccines emerging. And I'm even more shocked that nobody talks. I mean, I, and I listen to a lot of like lefty podcasts and self-proclaimed communists and other people with radical social leanings. And... I hear very, very, very little about what Cuba has done because they've developed in-house five different vaccines with older technology, none of this newer, shinier mRNA technology, but like older, well-established vaccine technology. And their cases have fallen dramatically you know since the, they had like an initial omicron wave they had a second omicron bump and then their numbers have been near under 100 for months under 100 cases per day for months i think the last time i looked it was under 20 so something is clearly working there something is going well and i'm certain that they're not relying exclusively on vaccines they're imposing other health measures as well but the world it's not talking about like you got a, an amazing success story right there in a country of 11 million people and there's just so little attention being paid to it it is disastrous it is mind-boggling. <laughs> One of the things that has been bugging me lately 
which uh, anyway, it bugs me and it doesn't bug me and I, I can turn it off anytime. Um, is, uh, the, 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 <laughs> I, I hate even talking about it because it's so nauseating. And, and I feel like it just feeds into this social media sphere desire to simply orbit around celebrities. Instead of like talking to, about anything substantive, I feel like the whole sphere just revolves uh, around celebrities and it's kind of depressing. It's kind of annoying. It's really, really boring. Um, the whole Kanye West thing. I, I still don't know exactly what happened. I tried very, very reluctantly to look at it and lost interest super quickly. And I feel the same way about Elon Musk buying Twitter. I really don't care. I don't think it's that interesting. I, I mean, <laughs> that this guy, that this billionaire, as well connected as any, you know, to the American government, as any of the other billionaires in the United States who own the social media, the largest social media companies, I guess the difference between Zuckerberg and Musk is that Zuckerberg built his empire from scratch, whereas Musk is just barging in and trying to buy Twitter uh, and, and buying Twitter. He did buy it, I guess. It took me a while to like realize that he actually bought it because <laughs> I was like, did it really happen? I don't know. It's just social media. Everybody's talking about it. I don't care. I'm going to tune it out. And then it turns out, I guess he did, he did buy it finally after all, all the dilly daddling about <clears throat> what Musk has done successfully, I guess, is somehow turn himself into a celebrity billionaire, which I'm sure Zuckerberg resents him for because he also. <laughs> Let's try very hard to do that for himself uh, with disastrous results. The guy is so unlikable. But it just boggles my mind that people are trying to create, to create, you know, try, trying to still formulate things on this left-right divide with, with the Democrats supposedly being the left. Which also boggles my mind. Like there's nothing fucking left about them, um, and 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 as opposed to like, uh, I, I feel like Musk deserves as much criticism as, as any of these other billionaire moguls who have billions in government aid thrust upon them and rely extensively on military contracts to sustain their empires and CIA collaboration 
right and when in collaboration with the department of homeland security and there was a there, there were articles on the intercept detailing uh content moderation uh and the ties to uh the security agencies in the united states i mean like it's all stuff that already was exposed in some part by the edward snowden revelations 10 years ago now oh my god has it been 10 years nine jeff bezos owns amazon and owns the washington fucking post right <laughs> whose headline is democracy dies in fucking darkness right it's such a fucking joke of <laughs> of a phrase right that the <laughs> oh, you know bloomberg you know that's also that's another huge media empire owned by a billionaire, right? Uh, I so the outrage about Musk really baffles me that it's because it seems so uniquely directed directed at him rather than the whole structure of billionaires with with giant military contracts and clear ties to the security establishment in the most powerful country in the world you know no, nobody's criticizing that whole fucking system and how corrupt it is but they're so eager for musk to either succeed or fail you know depending on which camp you're on and I feel like both camps seem kind of hilariously deranged and ridiculous. The guy is not that interesting. <laughs> In the same way that, you know, none of these other billionaires are interesting as people. You, if you destroyed their wealth, by, if you distributed their, redistributed their wealth, they would not be very interesting. We would, they would not be the celebrities that they are. They've purchased uh, their status, right? <laughs> but fucking Twitter, which I, I like, you know, and I feel like many other people do, that Twitter has gone to shit. But that has, that has nothing, that, that's been the opinion of many of us for years, for like four or five years. Twitter back in the early aughts was exciting. It was fun. Uh, I think you could connect to people genuinely um, in a more lively way than you than you do now. I remember actually wanting to interact with people, and I really, really don't anymore. Ah. <laughs> uh. And it is so... Anyway, it turned to shit. Many years ago, uh, Trump made it... Give, give, give it a brief <laughs> resurgence of funny. Uh, I saw somebody post about, about this. Um, Michael Tracy, who is a bit of a Twitter troll celebrity himself. Um, journalist. But he said that, you know, people are so 
are so I, don't, I can't remember exactly his word precisely, but he was criticizing uh, Democrats for not realizing that or refusing to acknowledge that Trump is funny, which I agree with. You know, <laughs> he, yeah, like I I don't condone or uh, promote so much of the dumb shit he does you know he like he was as bad as any american president they're all i mean this is part of the requirement of the job that you be a war criminal <sighs> uh it's anyway like okay i, I just, i'm just annoyed that musk is so much a topic on twitter right now i hope it dies down really quickly because even when I try to, and I feel like I still like Twitter because really that's where I can read what journalists are doing directly. I feel like that's my newsfeed. I can follow some, the journalists I like and see what they're up to, right? And I, I can say this, almost every single journalist that I follow in some capacity has disappointed me at some point, <laughs> which is great, um, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, I, I don't know why I had to throw that in. What was I thinking about? Anyway, Twitter's a shithole that has nothing to do with Elon Musk. I wish Elon Musk was not a trending topic. For so many days. I hope that goes away. Uh, I find it really funny. All the people migrating to Mastodon. Coming back to Twitter. To tell us about how great Mastodon is. <laughs> well. Knock yourself out. You know like. <laughs> I, it's it's hilarious. Because it's all, it also kind of like. Makes me think of when. Um, Parler was like a big thing where all the supposedly that's where all the right-wingers were migrating to and it just got destroyed it got destroyed from the inside out no matter what this is you know parlor tried very hard to stay afloat after january 6 it was the fastest growing app uh, in both like the Apple Store and the Google Store. And they both, I think it was Apple who did it first. They banned it. And then the, I, I can't remember if the Google Store, I mean, I'm sure the Google Store banned it too. And the lawyers at Parler tried their darnest to guarantee the best content moderation possible, that it wasn't just going to be a, a cesspool of like the wrong kind of free speech, right? They 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 try I mean like they were they had the money, they were ready to purchase not to do their own content moderation, but to buy Amazon Web Services content moderation software, right? So they were seeking to buy Amazon's so like people don't know this, Amazon makes most of their money through Amazon Web Services. That's their cash cow. And they have like giant, uh, super powerful computers that can do all this content moderation for 
these enormous social media platforms, you know, automated um, for them. And Parler was trying to get that, but they were just refused at every turn. <laughs> like the, the establishment decided that this app could not exist and it was quashed. Uh, and now, <laughs> so the right-wingers had their moment where they were trying to flee to a different app, and now the so-called left-wingers have their moment where they're trying to flee to a different app, because, <laughs> for different reasons, very different scenarios, of course. Um, but, yeah, it's funny. I, anyway, it's so funny, like, to see, to, like, so many social media platforms have come and died, uh, MySpace, which I never really used, Tumblr, which I liked, and then they banned pornography, <laughs> and it turned out that that was their main thing, uh, and that died, well, it's still around, but it's dead, um, what other ones, God, Snapchat, that's not really happening so much anymore, that, that Facebook really made sure, uh, to kill that one with, their development of Instagram to do a lot of things that Snapchat did. <sighs> anyway, I just hope <laughs> I don't have to listen to either camp of the Musk debate. I don't care. I really don't care what this billionaire who has invented nothing, who... <laughs> through family wealth, has been able to generate greater wealth. <laughs> uh, because that's the way the system, that's who the system favors. Uh, I don't think he's going to fix Twitter. <laughs> I don't think he's going to break it either. <laughs> I Yeah, it, it's going to be um, funny. Stupid. Same old shit. The more things change, the more they stay the same. As they say. Speaking of which, Benjamin Netanyahu has been <laughs> is back in charge in Israel. Well where who else who else had a moment <laughs> like this? The more things change, the more anyway. Uh I think I just got <laughs> God uh what a mess this world is. I hope the temperature cools down over the next few days. Goes back to normal November weather because it's going to be hard to run if it's anywhere like if the temperatures are as hot as they were this weekend. Uh, I'm just looking out for myself here. I just want it to cool down so I can do a marathon-length run in nice zero-degree weather. <laughs> I can wear little gloves. I can wear my running sleeves, which I really like, but have, you know, I bought them a couple of weeks ago. Three weeks ago, almost. Uh, and I've only been able to use them twice because we are having such a ridiculous warm fall anyway 
I'll probably post about this some more on Instagram just to get maybe maybe I'll even jump on Facebook and put a plug in there too. Even though <laughs> I want nobody to come and see me. Uh, I'm going to plug it because now it's I'm committed. I'm in it. I got to do it. I can't back out. I can't. I <laughs> I am scared. I am really scared that I'll hit a wall and I won't be able to finish the run or that I'll finish it by walking eight kilometers at the end or something like that happening. I am really frightened. I am really anxious about that. And I feel like just forcing myself to do it is the only way that can be achieved now. I've had a couple of runs in which I can feel, you know, it's it's not, how do I explain this? I feel like it's so hard to to put into words, but, you know, when I'm running, I just know, I, I, I get this feeling at some point, it's like, you got to quit. You can quit now. Quit now, stop running. Quit now, stop running. You don't, don't do the, do fewer sets. And it's so hard to fight that voice, to fight that urge to quit at times. It's been pacified in the last couple of weeks when I've been running stronger, I've been running better. It feels so good when it doesn't show up. <laughs> but because it showed up a couple of times in October, uh, three times maybe, I, I, I get really scared. What if it shows up for this one time again? I don't know. What if this shows up during the marathon thing? <sighs> anyway, I'm going